Good morning, church. Such a blessing to be able to sing these truths together and to not just be singing words, but to be singing words that we believe from the deepest part of our hearts. Christ in power, resurrected, as will we be when he comes. Amen? Amen. Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We are continuing our series through the book of Ephesians, and we're focusing in our time this morning on verses 15 through 19. And this section of Ephesians is a prayer. Before this section, there was a uh, section of praise, and so Paul's moved from praise to then his prayer. And so let's begin. We'll, we'll just start in verse 1, though, and read all the way to verse 19 in, in, in Ephesians together. The Word of God reads, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Now for our verses this morning. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and we thank you, Lord, that you are the Father of glory, and that you are light, Lord, and that in you there is no darkness at all that you are the God who spoke the world into existence. You are the God who said, let there be light, and there was light. You are the God whose glory radiates in unparalleled splendor. Lord, we acknowledge this morning as we come before you to read your word and to study your word, that it's in your light that we see light. So, Lord, please open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word this morning. Father, we want to thank you for shining the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ in our hearts by your spirit. 
And we pray that you would do so more and more this morning. That we would become a more thankful, more prayerful people. That we'd be a people who are more dependent upon you, Lord. A people who are running to you and asking for you to shine light more and more in our hearts, Lord. Please strengthen your church through this text. Please help us, Lord, to better understand you and all the blessings of salvation that you've given to us through your Son and by your Spirit. We ask this all in your mighty name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, friends, this morning we get to see what the Apostle Paul prays for. And in doing so, we can take a moment to just pause and think, what are the things that you pray for? When you pray, what is it that that you pray for? What is it that, that you think is the most important thing to pray for yourself and for other believers? What do you pray for when you pray? We get to go to... Paul's school of prayer this morning and learn and see what he prays for. And to put that in a word, the main thing that Paul prays for is illumination. Paul prays for illumination. Illumination is the ministry of the Holy Spirit that gives us spiritual insight into spiritual truth. That spiritual truth that is contained in the scriptures and is revealed through the teaching and the reading and the proclamation of those scriptures. You see, on our own, apart from the Spirit of God, we are completely unable to understand, unable to take to heart, unable to believe and rejoice in and be changed by the words of truth. We need help. We are blind. We are darkened in understanding. We cannot just turn lights on on our own. We need light to shine into the eyes of our hearts from outside of us if we are going to see and understand any spiritual truth. And so that's why it's so important for Paul to pray and for us to pray for illumination. You see, if you want a deeper understanding of God's call that you might live with unshakable hope, if you want a greater knowledge of God's inheritance such that it it makes you sure that you are the most blessed person alive, and if you want to have a deep awareness of the extent of the power of God so that it impacts and changes the way that you live your life right now, those are spiritual truths that you cannot attain on your own. You can't simply turn those on, but you can run to the one who can shine the light and you can ask him, Lord, please shine again and shine some more until I know and adore and love you in the way that I should love you and understand the things that you want me to understand, Lord. I think that we all want those things. Amen? Uh, do, Do you want those things in greater measure? Are you content with the amount that you have now? Uh, do, you, do you want to know more of God? Do you want to know more of the, 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 the richness of the glory of all the blessings of salvation that he has given you? Such that you can't, you can't go through a single day without being impacted by it. Then you need to pray, and we all need to pray, for illumination. And I just want to say at the front here, if you're here and you're not a believer... This sermon is for you as well. Because before any of us became believers, we are all in the same exact spot. We are all in desperate need of illumination. None of us in our flesh or on our own intelligence thought that the things of God or the gospel or Jesus or God were things that were wise or worth giving up our lives to do. We, we didn't see it that way. We thought it was foolishness. We thought it was, was dumb. We thought those who, who went and did those things were ruining their lives and wasting their times and becoming weird, right? Uh, it, we needed light to shine 
in our darkened hearts. And that is our testimony to you. You have a room full of people who will testify to you that we did not consider these ways and God's ways as wonderful and beautiful and life-changing in any way until light shines in our hearts. And what we want to proclaim to you is that light can shine in your heart this morning. And it can give you an understanding. If you sit here and you're like, I just, I've heard this Bible, I've read the Bible, but it doesn't make sense to me. I I just don't understand it. I I don't get it. I I don't understand how, how you go up there and you just yell a bunch at us and you seem really excited about that. But I'm just sitting here and I'm like, what? We need illumination. And we can have it, and we're seeking the Lord to bestow it upon us this morning. So this sermon's for everybody. The main idea here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 19, is that we see three areas in our knowledge of God that are in constant need. Constant need of greater spiritual insight, greater light, so that we will pray for illumination for ourselves and for one another. So when you leave here, what are you going to do? Pray for illumination. Some of you are like, what, pastor? I ain't, I'm going to pray for illumination right now, even before we leave. Good, good. Pray for me too. That's what we want to do. There's some fill in the blanks for you that you can, uh, you can fill in as we get to the main points. But before we jump into the main points, we have a couple of introductory questions as we think about uh, going to Paul's school prayer in, this, in the beginning of this sermon. And so let's begin, first of all, with, with some introductory questions and learn from Paul. Uh, why is Paul praying? Why is Paul praying? We see in verse 15, at the beginning of our section, the Apostle Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I did not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And so that, that, those first couple words, for this reason, are really important. Well, what is this reason, Paul? Some commentators say it's the stuff that went before. It's for this reason, because God is the God who has blessed saints in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing from from choosing them and adopting them and making them heirs and giving them redemption in Christ, the forgiveness of their sins, and then sealing them with the Holy Spirit when they heard the word of God preached to them and they believed it. When they heard and believed, they were sealed and they, they, they then were able to see and understand all of these blessings of salvation, it could be very well that it's for that reason that he is then driven to prayer. Because when you think about God, you think about what Paul has said about God in those first verses, you see a God described that is absolutely sovereign, absolutely in control of everything. It says that he works all things according to his will to the good pleasure of his will. So, and so there's not a single thing outside of his control. And, and now you may think, well, wait a minute. If, if you have a God that's sovereign, then why pray at all? Right? Have you ever heard that or thought that yourself? If God is so sovereign, then what business do I do with praying? Well, Paul's example for us here makes it very clear that God's sovereignty is not an impediment to your prayers. It's not a a motivation for you to pray less or to be prayerless. But God's sovereignty, given the example of Paul here, leads right into and is the very foundation for why he prays. Why pray if you don't believe that God can actually do something? Why spend that time alone? Why, why get down on your knees and cry aloud to him? If, you know, if the, the, the home, if the house is, is empty and nobody's home, what's the point of knocking on the door? You see, if God is not a sovereign God, if God is not close and near and powerful and able to hear the prayers and petitions and requests that we make of him, such that in response to us pleading with him to shine light into our hearts and to other people's hearts, if he is not able to do that thing, then why pray at all? So his sovereignty and him being this, this father who gives good gifts All of that motivates Paul to run to him and pray, God, you can help. 
You can give. You can provide. That's why we run to him. He can actually do something. I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 11. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or, or which of you, if he has a son, or excuse me, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, and let me just pause right there, what did Jesus just call everybody? Evil. So there's some people who don't think they're evil. So according to Jesus, you're evil. Uh, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And, and you notice when Paul prays, he prays that the Father may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why pray if God's not sovereign? But if God is sovereign, then run to him and pray. He literally, do you understand? He literally opens his hand, Psalm 145, and satisfies the desire of every living thing. Every breath, every breath that we are breathing in this room is a gift from God. He is the source of all life, and so we run to him. Not only for breath and for life, but also for light and understanding. And so that's why Paul wants to pray. He understands that God is sovereign. But also, the, the occasion for his prayer, one of the causes of his prayer, is the strength of the church. So not only the sovereignty of God motivates Paul to pray, but also the strength of the church. It says here in verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Paul spent a, a, at least two years in Ephesus daily, teaching in Ephesus, uh, and there was crazy stuff going down in, in Ephesus, uh, and he was there, and it's probably been at least five or six years since he's been there, so you can imagine he spent significant time there, saw some fruit, right, going on, people responding to the gospel, people getting, getting saved, but, but he would want to know, how are they doing? How's it going? What's going on with the churches in Ephesus and, and in Asia Minor and the, 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 the surrounding area? And here Paul says that he has a report and he heard about this report. He says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And that causes him to give thanks. And it causes him to pray. So the sovereignty of God and also the strength of the church. And I want you to notice here that what Paul what Paul says. He says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. This is showing that, that this is a healthy church. You want to boil down a healthy church, a healthy congregation, a healthy body of believers into two things? It would be this right here. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. There's an order and a logic there. Faith in the Lord Jesus is the most basic foundational thing. That's what brings, that's what makes us Christians. That's what brings us into the blessings of salvation is that we hear the gospel preached to us and we hear it and that hearing is combined with believing and we are saved and we have forgiveness of sins and we are promised eternal life. That is the most basic thing. And so if you're here and you're not a, a believer yet in the Lord Jesus Christ, come to him. Come and put your faith in him. Come and put your trust in him. And you will be changed and you will be made new. And you will become a new creature in Christ. And you will have your, your sins forgiven. And you will have the hope of eternal life. And you will be a Christian. And then, Lord willing too, that faith is genuine, it's going to overflow and manifest itself and show itself, demonstrate itself in love for all the saints. You see, those two things go together. Faith in Jesus is the root of, the, of your salvation. And love towards all the saints is the fruit of your salvation. Faith is the root. Good works, love for all the saints is the fruit. So if you meet a person who's like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, 
but they don't share their lives at all. They don't serve at all. They don't love at all. They don't try to help at all. They don't fellowship at all with believers. You can, you can take that as, as dead, obvious evidence that they do not have faith in the Lord Jesus. Because if they had faith in the Lord Jesus, then they would also have love for all the saints. And, and that's just one of the things that I would just pause and pray for for us. May we be a congregation that has love for all the saints, that is known, that is known outside of the doors of this building, that we're known in our city, we're known in our towns, we're, we're known in, in, in Los Angeles, we're known in California as a church that has love for all the saints, that we have love for all the saints in our local congregation that we love the old saints, that we love the young saints, that we love the, the you know, little itty-bitty new believer saints, that we love those who have been walking with the Lord for, for a really, really long time, that we love them all and we serve them all and we are thankful to God for them all, that there would be no partiality, but we would have a love that extends to all who are around us, all of God's people, that we would love them. Do you have a love for the saints? Do you have a love for the saints? Is that evident in your life? If you're here and you're believing in Jesus, how does your love for the saints show itself? I know most of you here, I get to see it. And I do see it. And our, the pastors see it. It's real. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's cause for giving thanks because you believe in the Lord Jesus and you have love for all the saints. So Paul, why does he pray? Because of the sovereignty of God and the strength of the church. But then we also move into what, when, does, when does Paul pray? And notice that he says here that, uh, that when he heard, because I have heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. He's saying that I, I'm continuously in prayer for you. Uh, and, and probably what this has reference to is regular times of set, of set apart time for prayer. Uh, very, very common for the early church, even before that for Jews living in Jesus' day, was for people to pray three times a day. We have that example even before Jesus' day with Daniel who prayed three times a day. We have the example David says in one of the Psalms, I pray three times a day, right? Uh, and so there, there's a rich tradition for praying three times a day. They'd pray in the morning, they'd pray at noon, they'd pray in the evening. And, and those would be probably about an hour of, of, of hour each spent in, in prayer. We have no positive command telling us to pray that much or, or like that. But whatever you pray, let's just say like, you, we, oh, maybe we could pray, do a little more praying, Amen. And we'll keep going, all right? Paul prays regularly, and we should too. And if you love the church, you're going to want to as well. If you know God is sovereign, you want to run to him and ask for his help and ask him to, to bless the church. And so we see Paul praying regularly. More than that, though, what we also see who Paul prays to. Notice how he uh, addresses this, this prayer. Um, it says here that uh, uh, I do not cease to Give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. That's the one whom, God, whom Paul is addressing in prayer. And that's who we should address in prayer. We, we should be going to prayer, in prayer, to no one other than the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. We are going to, as Paul calls him here, the Father of glory. We're going to that one who is, who is preeminently set apart and excellent in every way. He is the one true and living God. He is the God whom the Son, who, who the Father sent the Son to reveal. And by the, spout, the, by the power of the Spirit makes known that God to us. We have no business praying, inquiring, seeking, interceding to any other God. And I love this phrase, the father of glory. One of the things you should notice in, in, in the scriptures is when you have these various titles and different names for God, very often that clues us into what's going to take place uh, in, in a prayer. 
uh, or, or in a, a section of praise. And so we should understand the Father of glory, I think, uh, as informing and bringing light literally to, to what Paul is going to then pray for them. Because glory has the idea of, of, of light and brilliance and, and shining. And if God is the God of glory, if he is all light and in him there is no darkness at all, who better to go to you guys and ask to shine some light into my heart, right? You, you, you don't go to a person who doesn't have the thing that you need and then ask them for it. Like, they don't have it. But we go to the Father of glory, and we need light in our heart. We need understanding. We need wisdom from above. And God is the one who gives us that wisdom. He is the God of light. And he is the one who pours down wisdom from above by his spirit. And that's what Paul prays for. What does Paul pray for? He prays for illumination. That God may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Uh, it's, it's worth saying here that some translations have a little S for the word spirit there. And so it, it, it would read as may give you the spirit of wisdom. Um, and, and what that would communicate, if, we're, if it's not speaking about the Holy Spirit, then it would communicate a sort of like God giving a human disposition towards wisdom. Or a human disposition where, where the person is receptive uh, to, to wisdom. And you could find uses of the word spirit like that in the scripture. But I don't think that that's the, the way that it's being used here. I think that in the, the way it's being used here is that, that Paul is specifically asking for the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of wisdom and revelation, to come and enlighten the Ephesians. I think this is more likely uh, because in Isaiah 11, we have the Holy Spirit called a spirit of, of wisdom. And also the idea of a human disposition. What's, what is a human disposition of revelation? That doesn't seem to make sense to me. Uh, so I think it's, it's clear that it's speaking about the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere in the book of Ephesians, the Holy Spirit is given the main role in making known mysteries and in revealing things, uh, that God reveals things to his prophets by the Spirit. And so when God wants to, to, to open, the, you know, open the heavens and pour down wisdom and understanding on people, that is the work that he does by his Holy Spirit. And, and why do we need that work? We need that work because in Ephesians 5, verse 8, it says that at one time, for at one time, you were darkness. You were darkness. If you were to be able to, you know, crack open your heart and see the, the, the spiritual, you know, life and light in your heart, before Christ, you'd crack that open and it'd be just a black hole. There'd be nothing in there. There'd be no life, and there'd be no light, only darkness. But God, but God, through his Son and by his Spirit, Paul would say that you are now light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Likewise, in Ephesians 4.18, it says that, uh, speaking of unbelievers, that they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of of their heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 16, Paul uh, also expresses the condition of our heart as hearts of darkness. He says that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he, does, he is not able, hear this, he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. They are spiritually discerned. So, if, if you're not able to understand these things until the light shines and you can't turn that light on, then what do we do? We run to the Lord and we ask the Father of glory to please shine. Shine, Lord, into our hearts. And that's exactly what Paul is praying for here. I have a, a, a quote here by J.I. Packer as he explains illumination. He says that it's the work of the Spirit in imparting this knowledge called illumination it is not a giving of new revelation, but a work within us that enables us to grasp and to love the revelation that is there before us in the biblical text as heard, uh, as heard and read and explained by teachers and writers. 
And he goes on to say that sin in our mental and moral system clouds our minds and wills so that we miss and resist the force of Scripture. God seems to, to us remote to the point of unreality, and in the face of God's truth, we are dull and apathetic. The Spirit, however, opens and unveils our minds and attunes our hearts so that we understand. As by the work of inspiration, the Holy Spirit provided the scriptural truths for us, so by illumination, he interprets them to us. Illumination is thus the applying of God's revealed truth to our hearts so that we grasp as reality for ourselves what the sacred text puts forth. Do you want that? Do you want illumination? I hope that you do. And I hope that you see it's necessary to pray for. So let's look now at three areas in our knowledge of God that are in constant need of illumination. And the first is the hope of his call. The hope of his call. When you trust in God, when you believe in God, when his spirit shines into your heart, you have a greater and greater view of God. And that view of God extends to this area one in which you should want to grow in more and more, and that is the hope of his call. Paul says that God, he asks that God may give them uh, uh, a, a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. You guys know that Christians have a glorious hope. We sang earlier, right? Do, 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 you, do you feel the world is broken, Right? We do. But then also, do we know that the uh, dark won't stop the light from getting through, right? We do. Christians have the best hope. Christians have the best news. And we get to live the best life because we have the best hope. Because we're looking forward with joy to things glorious and unimaginably wonderful. Resurrection from the dead. A new heaven and a new earth. Inheriting the kingdom of heaven. No more sin, no more pain, no more crying, no more tears, no more cancer, no more death, no more Satan, no more demons. Only God and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and all those filled with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enjoying and worshiping the one true God forever. What a hope. And it's that hope that is anchored in God's calling and choosing and predestining and electing of us that stems from the foundation, even before the foundation of the world, and it goes all the way to the end to eternity. And it's a, it's a perfectly tight line. and It is unbreakable. And we're hooked to it. We're going to be brought through. We're going to make it through. You're going to make it through death, saint. You're going to make it through that disease. That disease will not be the end of you. Even if it takes your life here and now, you're going to be raised from the dead and you're going to enjoy perfect peace and righteousness in his kingdom forevermore. That is a hope. If, if someone cuts off our head because of the gospel, because of Christ, because we insist on telling people about Jesus, that is not the end for us. You've just blessed us. You've just given us a greater reward. <laughs> you just sent us to heaven to, to be with our Lord. And we're going to come back and reign on this earth, and you're not going to be on it. We have a wonderful hope, and you don't. And it's not because we're great, but it's because of his grace. We have a tremendous hope. This is why Paul, and this hope is all connected to the calling that God has placed on his, our lives. That sovereign call. That it, it is a, a work of God that is effectual and draws us. And we hear and we come and we know and we love and we obey. And he takes us all the way. Praise God for that hope. This is why Paul can say in Romans 8 that those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And then he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, he says, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because we're sure, we're sure, that's our hope. We have a, a confident, solid expectation of what is going to happen 
we are sure that, that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen to that. You have a wonderful hope. You've been called. And if you've been called, then you'll be justified. And if you'll be justified, then you'll be glorified. So hold on, dear saint. Hold on in the midst of trouble. Dig, ask the Lord for more illumination to understand his call so that you can endure all things with joy, so that you can be patient in the midst of tribulation, so that you don't have to fear when others come against you, when man or Satan is prowling to destroy you. You do not need to fear because you have an excellent hope. You can live with joy knowing this hope. So if you want more of that understanding, pray for illumination. The second area in our knowledge of God that's in constant need of greater spiritual insight is the riches of his inheritance. Paul says here that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, and then also what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This is wonderful. I mean, you got to love the words there. The riches of of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, there's some debate on a lot of the when inheritance is mentioned in Ephesians chapter 1. Is this speaking of, of believers as God's inheritance? Which is, we know that that is a truth in a lot of different passages. Uh, or is it speaking of God and his kingdom as the inheritance of believers? Which is also a truth we know from a lot of different passages. And ultimately, they both go together. As one person said, they're two sides of the, of the same coin. But that said, I think the emphasis in this text, although some may disagree, I think it is still on the God being the saints' inheritance. God is the source of the inheritance that the saints will enjoy. And as such, the saint is supposed to, that, that person who believes in God and has God as his father because he's been made a son through faith in Jesus, and, and he has a glorious inheritance, one that is tremendously rich, ridiculously rich. Can I say filthy rich? <laughs> Purefully rich, pure, whatever the word for that would be. The opposite, in every way, gloriously rich, as Paul says. That's you. That's what, that's what you have when you have God. And you have the gift of his son. And you have the gift of his spirit. And you have the promises of a new heaven and a new earth and his kingdom. You have all that. You are so blessed. You have a glorious inheritance. And that should change the way that you live your life now. Uh, one, one, one parable that I love of, of Jesus he, he, he describes, in Matthew 13, or excuse me, he describes the, uh, the kingdom of heaven as a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has so that he can, he can buy that field. Now, just wait for a second here. Pretend you're the man. You're out. You're walking around. You're checking out this field. You see something barely poking through the top of that dirt. You're like, what is that? Kind of kick, kick over some dirt. This looks like the top of a chest, right? Uh, you see it's embroidered, embroidered, the chest itself's embroidered with gold. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> Dig it, put the dirt back over it, and then you go, and you're like, how much is that field going to cost me? It's going to cost you, it's going to cost you everything you have. No problem. No problem. I'm going, and I'm going to give it up at all. Because there lies in that field a treasure worth far more than anything and everything that I have. And, and so the guy goes about doing that. And you can just imagine what his friends and what his family would be thinking. You're what a fool. You're buying that, that empty field. It has nothing but, you know, thorns and thistles. There's not a tree. There's no fruit. Like, you can't even cultivate it. You got stones everywhere. What kind of a moron are you? Why would you do that? Why would you waste everything that you worked your whole entire life for and then go and, and just squander it all to get that field? And they might laugh and they might mock and they might think you're the biggest idiot in the town. But is that guy going to get defensive? Is he going to get upset? 
(laughs) Is he going to be bothered by that one single bit? No, (laughs) he's going to (laughs) smile and be looking at him. And no, I know what I got in that field and you don't. (laughs) You don't understand it. So you can't value things properly, but I know something that you don't know. And it's worth it, every bit of it. And I'm willing to sacrifice everything so that I can have it. Because when we value these things rightly, it's no sacrifice at all. Do you get that? So when you understand the riches of the inheritance that you have, you realize that, that everything you have in this life, all your accolades, all your successes, you know, all the jobs that you have, all the accomplishments, all of that is nothing, nothing compared to the inheritance and that we have in Christ. And that, that causes you to, to be able to live joyfully. My family, my friends, and people around me think, I'm an idiot, I'm a, you know, who am I that I would, I would give my whole life? I had a good career. I had, you know, I had a lot of things going for me, I, you know, uh, to give it up and follow Jesus and to be willing to lay down my life and, and, and for his sake to, to love and to give sacrificially to other people, to follow Jesus, even if it means poverty, even if it means suffering, even if it means trials, even if it means tribulations, all of that to me is like barely any sacrifice at all because we understand the richness, the wealth of the inheritance that we have. And it it causes us to have joy. Thank you, Lord, for what's coming. I can't wait to uncover that treasure. Then they're going to realize that what I did was the wisest thing that anyone could do. That's how knowledge of the wealth of our inheritance should impact us. And this is why, you guys, this is why faithful saints have traded their lives for the gospel. Why they have been beheaded for the the cause of Christ. Why they've been willing to go into dangerous places. Why they've been willing to make big risks and even be willing to lose their lives. Because they understand the wealth, the inheritance. They understand because God has shined light into their hearts. So may we understand that more and pray for illumination more and more in that area. And the last one then, the third area in our knowledge of God is that that is in constant need of greater spiritual insight is the extent of his power. The extent of his power. Now, maybe maybe not all of us come from, from a background where we think a lot about spiritual power. Maybe we come from more of an atheistic, naturalistic sort of, you know, worldview. But where the Ephesians are coming from, you guys, there's crazy stuff going down in Ephesus. Paul goes there, and he's casting out, he's casting out demons out of people. And, and then also, we see that when people come to Christ in Ephesus, in Acts chapter 19, they come and it says that they were di- di- divulging their practices. They were confessing their involvement with witchcraft and sorcery and things like that. And they take their books, their, uh, their, their books of magic and all that kind of stuff, and they burn it. And these books and stuff are expensive. You can check it out. He, he, I think he says like, I forget the amount of silver. I should have just read it. But anyways, it's a great amount of money. But there's nothing compared to their inheritance in heaven, right? More than that, they seek to please God and, and to honor God. So, so they're coming from a background, you guys, of, of there's real spirits, real evil spirits around here that torment people and that ruin their lives and that have real power. And so if you're going to tell someone that you're going to follow God and you're going to be safe and you're going to be protected, you need one, you need to follow God who has power. And you need to follow God who has power over all the other lesser powers. And that's exactly what God is. And that's exactly what God provides. Do you guys realize that, that we could not last a single moment in purity and obedience and walking in the Lord in the face of our enemy who prowls like a roaring lion and the, the army of demonic spirits that, that he sends out to torment and attack people? We have no way to withstand any of that on our own. If we don't have the power of God, we're lunch meat. 
your lunch meat. Baloney, you're baloney. <laughs> if you don't have the power of God, you're baloney. Quote that. <laughs> you're nothing. But, but if you have come to know God, and you've come to see that God wields his power in favor towards you, that you are, the, you are the ones who he unleashes and is constantly using his power to, per, per, to protect and to lead and to guide and to grow and to mature, then you have great confidence. It doesn't matter what anyone else is saying. It doesn't matter what any curse that anyone is trying to put on me. I understand that no one can curse what God has blessed. Do you get that? That's how powerful God is. And so you should walk in that with a deeper and deeper understanding of the power of God at work in us to protect us, to sanctify us, to lead us from temptation and sin, to walk in that power and see even in our sufferings, even in our weaknesses, God's power is being displayed. And God loves for his power to be displayed through weakness and suffering. You see, a lot of times when we face suffering, we face sickness, we face persecution or death, we think, wow, we know we believe in a powerful God, but then his power was only exercised up until that point. And then that was it. And others mock, where's your, where's your God now? Now that that warlord came and slayed half your village, where's your God now? My God is here. My God is powerful. My God is the one who has ordained all things. He's the God who's in control of all things. He's the God who's going to raise those up from the dead who have believed in him. And they're going to reign forever all by the power of God. And it's the same God who's going to raise up those who came and slayed half the city. And he's going to raise them up and he's going to judge them and sentence them to eternal fire burning in the lake of fire. The power of God is at work constantly. He is present. He is working even through our death, even through our weaknesses. His power is at work toward us who believe, as the scripture says. You guys realize that God will not fail in a single thing that he has promised to do. God will not fail in a single thing that he has intended to do. God will not fail, period. When Paul is in prison, the power of God has not failed. When Paul is broken out of prison by the power of God, the power of God has been demonstrated. But it doesn't mean that when he's locked up, that God just walked away from the scene or fell asleep. God is orchestrating all these things in accordance with his power. And so we should have great confidence in that. If we know we have a powerful God, we can move forward and do the things that God has called us to do even when we're weak, even when we're afraid, even when we're, we're, we're scared that we're gonna be made fun of or persecuted or hurt because God is powerful. When that, when that person at work knows more than me, but I see something that's wrong and I need to call that person to repentance and call this, for, this evil for, for what it is, but I'm scared. I can have the power of God with me, and I have the power of God with me in that moment. It's just a matter of, Lord, show me the power that you have at work in me so that I will be faithful and I will step out, even if I don't feel like it, even if I feel weak, even if I feel timid, that I will then rely on your power. The Lord as David says, is a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. When you have a deep understanding of the power of God, your, your inadequacies all of a sudden are completely removed as an excuse for you to not do what God has called you to do. Well, I, I just, I'm not good at sharing the gospel. Is God good at saving people? I'm just, I'm not a powerful speaker. Does God need a powerful speaker? Can, can, can God speak through a donkey? He's pretty powerful. 
when God called Moses and it's like, look, I'm going to take you and send you to Israel and you're going to proclaim to them and you're going to bring them out. Moses is like, but, but Lord, my mouth, like, you, don't you remember? Like, I, I, I can't, I got, I have a stutter, stu, 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 right? So I got a stutter. I'm not eloquent of speech ever. And God says, are you kidding me? He doesn't really say that, right? Are you kidding me? Turd muffin Moses, who am I? He doesn't call him a turd muffin. Uh, but I'm the one who made the mouth. I'm the one who made the mouth. I'm the one who makes and gives a person the ability to speak or not. And if I take you and I set you apart and I send you out on a mission, I'm going to empower you and I'm going to make it possible for you to do exactly the work that I have called you to do. And it says that God's anger burned against Moses. Because if you have a bigger view of the power of God, then, then I can go in my weakness, you guys. I can go when I, I felt weak for this sermon. I told Pastor Kenny, I, I'm so lame. <laughs> I'm so weak. Lord, help me. We're up here week after week preaching in weakness, relying on the power of God. And he shows up. God shows up. And he empowers us to do the work that he has called us to do even in the face of suffering, even in the face of trials. We have God's power with us. So I don't know about you. I, I think that if, if we all understood a little better the wealth of our inheritance, if we understood the, the, if we understood the, the power of God for us, we, we would be a people who run to him and ask him for more and for more and for more so that we could be more and more faithful, more and more joyful, more and more bold, more and, and more full of delight and patience in the midst of tribulation, people who, who are full of, of prayers and requests to the Lord, people who are known for their faith in Jesus and for their love for all the saints, no matter what comes their way and what it costs them, no matter what they go through. So may we pray for this illumination more and more. What do you pray for when you pray? Do you pray for illumination for yourself and for others? I pray that we would do so and that God would shine into our darkened hearts and cause us to see and to know him better and that seeing him would transform the way that we live now so that we are a more faithful and productive local church that then is an example to many other local churches and bears the testimony of Christ and shines as light to the ends of the earth. May God give us help and power, and may we see his help and power more and more. We ask this. Lord, help us to come before you and, and ask Help us to ask, Lord, regularly, continuously. Help us to love you more. Help us, Father, to see the realities of your salvation that you've given to us and to know them more, that they would impact the way that we live, God. Thank you for shining light in our hearts this morning. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself more. May we serve you, Lord, with joy this week. Help us to be a light to the nations. In Jesus' name, amen.